Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. We've got a lot happening in agriculture and in the markets. We saw yesterday's tremendous rally in the wheat market falter a little bit in the overnight, but today a new commodity has picked up the run, and soybeans are really moving higher. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk will join us in just a moment to talk about what's happening there in the commodity markets. And then in segment two, we're going to check in with Brandon Day. He's the chief operating officer at the Yield Lab Institute. They've recently partnered with the U.S. Uh, with the United Soybean Board, rather, USB, in order to help drive new innovations for soybean meal. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. And then in segment three, Kent Backus, the executive director of government affairs at NCBA, will be joining us. He's recently returned from Europe talking about the U.S. beef sustainability story and will it help drive more sales over on on that continent. Kent will give us his thoughts here in segment three. And then we're going to close by taking a look at diesel fuel as the weather gets colder. Aaron Rogie of CHS Refined Fuels has some tips and hints for maximizing your machine's productivity during these cold months of the year. But let's turn our focus first to these markets. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk joins us today. And Garrett, we are seeing soybeans on a tear today. Was there anything in the overnight news that sparked that market higher? Well, I think we're playing a little bit of catch up here. You know, we had the the, uh, the Russian green or the, the Black Sea green corridor uh, suspension by Russia. Um, you know, we to this point, you know, last week, last week to ten days, uh, soybeans have really struggled about fourteen dollars. And uh, anytime we we, we we see buyers under fourteen trade down to thirteen eighty, that sort of thing. Um, but um, uh, but whenever we try to rally above fourteen dollars, we'd see sellers. So, um, you know, the, I think the key thing was is I think this is technical buying. Uh, we we got to close above the fourteen oh eight level in the jam beans, and that was kind of the area uh, that we were uh, we were looking for. And and once we got above that fourteen oh eight level yesterday, um, bounced off that fourteen oh two trendline support. We're right here to this two hundred day moving average at fourteen forty one and a half. Yeah, and there it is, Garrett. There it is. As you're thinking about the market actions today, we're waiting on that crush number from USDA NAS. Is that going to be something the trade's going to be keeping an eye on? I think the markets. I think the market. It is, uh, but I think the market's kind of trading its own fundamentals here right now. I mean, you've got uh, you know, beans were suppressed here. We've had this big rally in bean oil. We've had this rally in meal as well. Crush margins are fantastic. Oil share is fantastic. You've got Western Corn Belt crushers paying $16 for cash beans. The Eastern Corn Belt is, is kind of uh, de depressed and, and subdued because of the river issues that you have out here. Um, but when they're paying $16 for beans in the West, that's that's what beans are worth, in my opinion. You know, so um, you know it's going to be a combination of futures and cash to get us to that point. But um, you know, it, it just basically tells me that beans are probably a little bit too cheap in here if if that's what they're willing to pay at this point. Now, the other aspect of it is as well is you know we're starting to get into South American growing season. We're starting to get into a little bit of weather in here as well. Um, I I personally I don't think there's a big issue out here uh, as far as weather is concerned, but there's dryness in Argentina. The market does have a, a fairly big new crop, 152, 155 type crop penciled in here. So if ideas are that we're not going to get those numbers at some point, then the market's going to get excited. And Garrett, when the market gets excited, we're trading 1432 in the no, 1440 here in uh, the Jan. What's the target? I mean, is 16 what you're watching here for soybeans in the short term? No, well, no. Uh, in Jan beans here in the front end, I mean, if we get through this 200 day moving average at 1441 and a half, you got to remember the funds haven't been really in, too enamored in, with soybeans at all uh, to this point. But, you know, to this point, we, through the month of you know, last half September, month of October, the key harvest month for soybeans, we're now past that point. Um, you know, with, with bean harvest, uh, you know, over 90 per, you know, close to 90% complete. Um, you know, if we get above this 200-day moving average at 1441 and a half, there's really nothing 
but air between here and, and 1487 and a half and maybe $15, that's the top end of that, that, uh, that the, the, the channel or the, the trend line resistance, I should say, from that uh, Jan July, August high. So I, I don't think, you know, if we're $16, we'd have to be new contract highs and beans, which would, you know, where we were back in, in late May and in June. Uh, I don't think the commodity, uh, overall, the, the commodity um, environment uh, could, could sustain that. You remember back then, crude was a lot higher. We had a lot cheaper interest rates. We're going to have another interest rate hike here uh, tomorrow. Um, you know, I think that if we, I think I'm talking more $15 beans, more than $16 beans, if you will. Gotcha. That makes sense. See, basis do the heavy lifting for the last dollar as needed. Garrett, it, you did mention that fundamentals are what the soybean market is trading. I want to turn our focus over to the wheat market. We saw that tremendous rally on Monday with all the concern about the grain export corridor in the Ukraine. Then we had the worst winter wheat quality rating since 1977, and we've got the wheat market down today. What's happening in that market? Well, I think the, I think a lot of the reaction is the reaction to the Black Sea suspension or the corridor suspension was an overreaction, if you will. Um, you know, we, we've got, uh, we kind of have grown to, uh, to be immune to a lot of these headlines out of this Black Sea uh, situation, but the market had gotten itself a little short in here, and we do, I mean, we, we have the worst conditions since 87 on record. And we keep having issues with the South America, the Southern Hemisphere crop. Uh, the Argentine crop keeps going backwards. Uh, various ideas as far as this Australian crop, as far as crop size or crop quality, given the rains they've had. Um, so there's a lot of issues in the Southern Hemisphere. I think that supports. But um, in my opinion, you know, again, um, what are we, what are we going to see that we haven't seen already uh, in this wheat market, given the Black Sea corridor situation? Um, you know, I think a lot. I think everyone kind of knew that these. Well, we haven't had any moisture whatsoever in the Southern Plains that these conditions were going to be poor. Um, so I think that a lot of this kind of keeps, uh, um, you know, just catching the shorts uh, on their heels, if you will, a little bit because they get a little bit too over aggressive at some point. That makes sense. Garrett, before we let you go, we've got that corn market trying to stay above seven bucks. I think the March got darn close yesterday. Are we going to take that out here in the short term? Man, that's, uh, that's not a great sign. The, the, these high yesterday was $7 right on the button. Uh, that's pretty stiff resistance. It's a round number. I think there's a lot, a lot of farmer offers at those levels. Um, if we can't get wheat to push higher in here, I think that that's probably going to be the top end of the range. It doesn't mean the rest is going to fall apart, but we're going to be in this upper end of the range, range where $7 is going to be the resistance level. And Garrett, you mentioned we're going to see an interest rate tomorrow. Are you thinking 75 basis point hike from the Fed? Yeah, I think that's what everyone's kind of expecting. Then we're supposed to see another one here in December as well. So another point and a half here before the end of the year. Boy, those rates are moving quick. It is going to change the way dollars flow around the ag markets. And Garrett, we're glad you're going to be keeping track of the way these changes are happening. Folks, we've been talking with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk with Brandon Day, the COO of the Yield Lab Institute, about their new program with the United Soybean Board of Driving Demand and Innovation for Soybean Meal. Stick around for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com. With Harvest wrapping up, Channel Technical Agronomist Don Gustafson joins me to provide an outlook on Harvest and an analysis of Channel's product performance this year. Don, Channel Products in the field, how'd they do? Well, because the farmers have faced a variety of conditions across the region this season, you know, some growers were able to get in the field early, others experienced a delayed planting season, and of course, throughout the season, moisture was either abundant, fair, or scarce. 
But despite these various conditions, um, channel corn and soybean products have performed very well. From the high yielding acre to the stressed acre with limited rainfall, we have been very pleased with our solid performance. We have a very exciting lineup and we've got great genetics and great breeding to, to back that up. That was Channel Technical Agronomist Don Gustafson. To see how Channel products are performing in your area and sign up to receive local harvest results via text or email, visit channel.com yield. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly 3 million times against the competition. How many? 3 million frickin' times! Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Always appreciate being a part of your day. You know, we've been talking on this program over the past year about the excitement in the investment world, the excitement in the fuels world for soybean oil and veg oils more broadly. And we're seeing demand continue to grow for that commodity. But that leaves soybean meal feeling a little bit left out. Well, United Soybean Board is looking to change that. And they've recently launched a new program. This is the Soy Innovation Challenge in order to help drive value for soybean meal. And in order to put this together, they've partnered with the Yield Lab Institute. Joining me today to talk about this program and the other work the Yield Lab Institute is up to is Brandon Day. He's the Chief Operating Officer over there. And Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mike. Let's talk first about the Soy Innovation Challenge. Brandon, what is it that the United Soybean Board's looking to do here? Yeah, thanks. So we, we've worked with the United Soybean Board in the past, actually launching a, a prior Soy Innovation Challenge in 2020, and that one was focused more broadly on disrupting the entire soy value chain. So we had success with that challenge, working with about seven startups that we put through a, a program of mentorship and the opportunity to compete for some prizes. So this United Soybean Board approached us and wanted to do it again. And so this time what we're doing is this Soy Innovation Challenge is focused on a soybean meal and trying to drive more value and, and drive more co consumption and more uses to existing markets for soybean meal. As you know, um, there's an enormous amount of uh, demand for soybean oil and, and processing capability with the uh, increased uh, attention to renewable fuels, among other things. But as you crush all this oil, there's going to be all this meal sitting around that we need to find out. We'll need to find other ways to, to use it and drive more use to existing markets. So this challenge aims to source innovation and technology to do that. And so what sort of, of environment, what sort of industries are you looking to innovate soy meal in? Are we trying to stay in the conventional fields of animal agriculture or are we looking outside the box? We, we are. We are looking to drive you know more use in animal agriculture. So of course, livestock, poultry, you know, cattle, um, swine, but then also we're trying to drive more value in, in markets like aquaculture, um, pet foods, human soy foods, then also trying to find innovation that can overcome commercial obstacles to drive even more value to those chains. But then there's also 
the transportation storage and logistics um, aspect of soybean meal. You know, as you know, um, having that meal ready and stored and, and protected on, on, on hand when it's end market or end use is identified is also a key challenge. So we're hoping that we can source some innovation and technology to overcome that and drive even more value for the soybean meal um, um, market. So, yeah. That is very neat to see. And yes, the question is, what are we going to do with all of this meal? And I'm curious, for these companies that are looking at the meal space, they're coming up with innovations, what does participating in this challenge mean to them? Is it a cash reward? Is it assistance? What sort of programs are available? It's it's all the above, yes. Yeah. So each so the, the startups will get the opportunity to compete for some non-dilutive uh, cash prizes. So USB has generously sponsored $170,000 in cash prizes to a few of the winners and then Amazon Web Services is also an in-kind sponsor coming in with technical service and cloud computing credits. So the ability to um, utilize their their AI or machine learning or other you know technical experts in-house and also the ability to use their platform um, to, the, to the amount of $5,000 in credits per finalist. And then we just announced another sponsor yesterday, uh, Solus AgroScience, which is actually a uh, contracted research service group here in St. Louis. And they provide lab space as well as access to their scientists for um, phenotyping and other kind of uh, genetic research um, services. So they are generously providing other in-kind services to the finalists. That is fantastic. Now, let's talk about the challenge itself. Uh, Brandon, if I'm a company, if I'm a, a person developing new uses for soybean meal and I want to throw my hat in the ring, what is participation going to look like? Yeah, so... The application opened last Tuesday, and so it'll be open through December 6th. And at that point, we will do an internal review and a down select from the larger applicant pool. And we will target about a cohort of six to eight finalists. And so those finalists will be likely announced the 1st of, of January 2023. And then from that point on, they'll be put through what we call a, you know accelerator type of program for the next four or five months. They'll work with us, they'll work with United Soybean Board and Solus and our other partners and be assigned a mentor and try to evaluate where are they at in the stage of development of their innovation and technology. Do they need more business support to find market fit? Do they need more technical support to develop their products? So we try to provide a, a targeted, curated um, experience for each of the finalists. And then at the end of the program around May, we typically have a finale anchor event where we announce the winner of the cash prizes. Um, as well as the in-kind service prizes. And they get the ability to get some marketing out of this by having two to three key anchor events that we try to highlight the challenge at um, outward-facing conferences, perhaps like an event like Commodity Classic. So. That is very cool. So at the end of this, even if they don't emerge as the final winner, they'll still have had several months with an expert. They'll still have had advice in taking their product to market. And at the end of the day, hopefully a little bit of promotion, even if they're not the winner. That's a pretty good deal. Yes, exactly. We try to provide as much value as we can to the six to eight startups that we work with. And we recognize we can't award all of them, you know, cash or in-kind prizes, but we want them to get, you know, value from the experience and from participating with the program, as well as being in the, uh, the Yield Lab network, network, as we call it. And any, any finalists that we work with, we consider them part of the, the Yield Lab family from here on out. So we try to do our best to support them in their growth. And it's that Yield Lab family that I want to talk about next, Brandon, because everything that we've talked about so far, that falls well within the, the realm of the United Soybean Board. We're talking about uh, American commodities. We're talking about consumption out there. The connection with the startups, it seems, is where the Yield Lab Institute fits in. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that uh, that you guys do and how the connection fits with this group? Yeah, yeah. So. The Yield Lab Institute, so high level, the Yield Lab group is consisted of two different, I'd say, arms. We have our venture arm, which is our venture capital funds that invest in early stage agriculture technologies. And so we have four regional funds with our first that we established in 2015 in St. Louis, Missouri, and then open offices in Europe, Latin America, and Asia Pacific. And so each of those four regional funds, although they share the name, the Yield Lab name, they operate a bit um, independently, but they share and uh, deal flow. They interact with one another and also co-invest in some cases in a few of our um, startups. The Yolab Institute, which is the organization I run, that's the nonprofit um, ag tech think tank arm of the group. And so we've been around for three years. We're a 501c3, also based in St. Louis. And what we do is we try to drive forward even more early stage innovation in the ag tech space. And we do that through levers like these open innovation challenges we're running with USB. We also do thought leadership activities like technical papers, 
um, ecosystem assessments, uh, you know, white paper studies, a number of things that we think are important driving forward more innovation globally. And although we were based in North America, we do a lot of work globally with public and private sector organizations like UNEP, um, FAO and strategics around the world. So our, our mandate really is to drive forward even more early stage innovation. And because we're a, you know, a nonprofit, we don't make investments, but we do give startups the opportunity to compete for some prizes or other support through the, the mechanism of a challenge or other initiatives. And Brandon, I'm curious, just more broadly, from the ag investment ecosystem, are you still seeing venture capital funds, private investors, angel types looking to get into agriculture? Is it still a hot space for that type of investor? Absolutely. It, it very much is. I would say high level venture capital has been slowing down, and that probably has to do with a lot of the activity lately in, in the economy. But ag and particularly, you know, climate tech, um, green tech, you know, however you want to categorize it, is still very uh, hot and, and of much interest and you know with with a lot of the uh, things coming down with uh, carbon carbon markets or trying to reduce carbon score food and agriculture is going to play a key role for that so we're increasingly seeing a big push from our investors and partners who want to understand the space admittedly you know a lot of a lot of folks that come and approach us come from other technology sectors and agriculture technology is still i'd say nascent still in its growth uh, stage. So we provide that that early stage, you know, expertise having been around and invested in the space for, you know, eight years. So I think we, we understand it and we know it pretty well. So. Kind of a welcome wagon for investors new to agriculture. I think that's a fantastic way to think of things. Brandon, we've been talking about the Soy Innovation Challenge, the partnership between the United Soybean Board and the Yield Lab Institute. For our listeners who are curious, maybe they're in this space, where could they go for more information or for uh, for applications for the grant? Yeah, I'd encourage them to visit our website, which is uh, www.theyieldlabinstitute.org forward slash challenges. And there you'll see the Soy Innovation Challenge 2022. Um, and you can find more information there. And the application link is on our, our website there. And also you can follow us on our Twitter, LinkedIn, or other social media pages where we post a lot of um, information on the challenge, on who's our partners, who we're working with, what kind of innovation we're looking for, and how to apply. So, Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Love to see more value being driven for American agricultural products. Our thanks to Brandon Day, the Chief Operating Officer for the Yield Lab Institute. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. And folks, stick around. We're going to continue this conversation on policy. We're going to have it with Kent Backus, NCBA Executive Director of Government Affairs, when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com. At Bravance, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly three million times against the competition. How many? Three million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word. Take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds. It's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we look at the market trade on this Tuesday, we see the quarter wheat markets taking a bit of a breather. Wheat, especially after the big surge on Monday, tied to the Russia-Ukraine situation over the Ukrainian grain deal. We also saw winter wheat ratings come out, the first condition ratings of the fall and they were pretty dismal. We saw the winter wheat ratings come in at just 28% good to excellent, 35% poor to very poor. That illustrates the impact of the ongoing extreme drought in the western and southern half of the hard red winter wheat belt. The rating is the lowest in over 20 years. So that's something to definitely keep our eyes on here with the winter wheat crop. 
Now, meantime, on the soy complex, surging here early Tuesday, led by higher soybean oils, scoring a new recent high and reaching the highest level in more than four months. We see that December bean oils now rallied nearly 14 cents per pound just since the end of September. Palm oil futures rose to the highest level since the end of August overnight. Cash margins are high. Crush margins are high as well. Soybeans definitely have a reason for strength on their own, as this has been three straight weeks of monster shipments of beans despite the challenge of low water levels on the Mississippi. We also see soybean harvest is nearing completion. Major states like Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota ranging from 89 to 98% complete with harvest. Corn is just kind of chopping along still here, pressured by the lower wheat market and some profit taking today. Corn demand remains dismal, so that's not helping things out while harvest continues to advance. We're around 77 to 78% complete in Illinois and Iowa. Meantime, livestock trade hogs are moderately higher with the cattle market moderately lower. We see uh, December live cattle, the new front month, down 20-some cents this hour. Corn is down 1 to 2. Beans are up around 20 cents, and wheat futures are 2 to 8 lower. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, this week, U.S. Trade Rep Ambassador Catherine Tai is over at the EU, and she's trying to put out some fires with regard to the auto industry and some of the provisions that came out in the Inflation Reduction Act. But that's not the only proponent of U.S. agriculture out there talking trade in the Europe and U.K. here this past week. Kent Backus, the Executive Director of Government Affairs of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, was also across the pond last week talking about sustainability, and he joins us now. Kent, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. Let's talk about your trip over to the UK, over to the EU. Kent, where all did you go and, and what was the reason for this trip? Uh, so uh, we started off in Brussels, you know, the, the heart of the, the European Union. That's where all of the ministries are. And, and you know, for the last uh, you know week, we really wanted to focus on promoting uh, our production methods, our sustainable uh, production. And, and that was just one area, but it wasn't the only topic of discussion. Uh, the main reason why we went to Europe is because, uh, you know, there are a lot of conversations out there right now that are, are focused on food production and food security. And whether we uh, want to be part of those discussions or not, the way that we raise food is certainly front and center. Uh, Europeans are looking at the United States, and, and while they certainly realize the efficiencies there, they kind of have their hands tied because of their own views on technologies. But, uh, you know, we were there just to have a straightforward conversation with them uh, and, and really talk about ways where we could potentially work together and collaborate. Uh, you know, the, the European Union is in a, a unique situation because they're very committed to this Green Deal, this, this ideology that, you know, they're going to reduce emissions and continue to uh, continue to be able to feed their populations, feed the world, and do so do so in a secure way. But uh, the science doesn't necessarily back up what their goals should be, and so that's where they keep running into these uh, these issues. Uh, they certainly recognize that the United States has the lowest uh, greenhouse gas emissions per uh, per kilo uh, in the world, uh, 
but again, you know, they have these uh, these mindsets that many of them are driven by interest groups and NGOs that are opposed to the way that we uh, produce food here in the United States. Uh, they're also, you know, coupled with this undercurrent of high input prices, uh, food insecurity, uh, you know, and also just uh, further integration within their own supply chains. So they have a lot of issues, a lot of issues where they're, they're very concerned about the future of production, uh, but they're also worried about the environment. And so they're trying to find a way to balance that out. We were there just to, to really set uh, the stage to, to have further conversations and to share directly with them what we've been doing as an industry for so many years that's made us uh, you know, so successful. It has, it has helped us you know, reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, has helped us improve uh, our carbon footprint, uh, but also uh, has allowed us to produce you know, almost 22% of the world's beef with 10% of the world's cattle. And so, yeah. I mean, that's, that was just a great conversation that we were able to have with them. It's, it's crucial conversation to have, especially right now. A few weeks ago, we had Tanner Emke, the CoBank dairy economist on the program, and he talked about that European farm to fork strategy and how they're phasing out a, a lot of dairy production. Kent, I imagine the similar thing is likely to happen on European beef production. Does this open the door for more U.S. exports or is that the, the street we're trying to pave right now? So I think, you know, we we've certainly been able to kind of carve out certain segments of the market there, but we still face a lot of restrictions. We do see, you know, down the road, we do see some opportunity to expand our access into the EU. Uh, but really this was a discussion about science. And this was a discussion about uh, making sure that we keep scientific bodies like Codex and the World Organization for Animal Health, that we keep them focused on science and keep the politics out of it, keep all of these other subjective narratives out of it and really focus on risk-based standards and focus on uh, giving our farmers and ranchers the tools they need to feed the world. And I think we had some very productive meetings, but again, this is a, this is a market that is uh, you know, ideologically counter to most of the things that, that we uh, stand for and what we employ. So it's gonna take a lot of uh, further conversations and engagement to, to find uh, some way to bridge the gap there. And those conversations, that engagement, the fact that they were willing to listen to the science, Kent, does that have you hopeful for how this conversation could go longer term? I do. And I also know that, you know, this is a focus of our government. Uh, you know, USDA and their counterpart, DG Agra, are going to host, you know, further meetings. They have some collaborative efforts that they are sponsoring, engaging stakeholders. Uh, and, and so I think we're going to have more opportunities there. You know, we've also met with stakeholders within the EU. They are definitely interested in learning more from us. So I think, uh, again, this is about the long term game. But I think we have seen a lot of positive movement just in the you know, last uh, few months. Well, I want to ask you about some of the movement that's not happening in Washington, D.C. Kent, we could use some more voices there talking about U.S. agriculture from an international trade perspective. Do we have any further insights on either Alexis Taylor or Doug McCaleb's nominations to their positions? Uh, I mean, we are certainly hopeful that we're going to see that move. But, you know, uh, I think if we're going to see anything, it's going to happen in this uh, this lame duck uh, session that we'll have in Congress. There's really no reason to uh, to hold them up. I mean, a lot of the reasons are purely political, and and uh, you know the holds on their their uh, their nominations are not necessarily just from Republicans but Democrats, and so uh, this is just leveraging within the Senate. So I think we're going to be able to see some of these move forward. We need them at the table. We need them engaged. We need them having conversations not only with the EU but uh, you know our biggest priority is the United Kingdom, and we need leadership there. We need we need to re-engage. Just having a dialogue is not good enough. We have to have formal negotiations. We have to move forward and secure a trade agreement with our biggest ally, with you know uh, someone whose economy, whose priorities are very similar to ours. This is an easy lift for Congress. This is an easy lift uh, for the administration compared to all of the other things that are in front of us. This should be a top priority for the United States. And Kent, I mean, given the upheavals we've seen with the UK Parliament over the past month or so, is that trade deal on the back burner or can we continue pushing for it from an American perspective while they get their house in order over there at uh, Dowling Street? I, I think, you know, the, honest, uh, honestly, the, the issue doesn't lie with the turnover within Parliament. The issue lies with the lack of engagement from the United States. 
And, uh, you know, while there is a shuffle uh, in cabinet members within, uh, within 10 downing, there's not a, <clears throat> there's not a lack of commitment to negotiating. You know, there's new prime minister, uh, new cabinet, all new leadership, uh, but there's still that same strong desire to have a bilateral agreement. The hesitancy is coming from our side. And so we need the Biden administration to step up. We need them to prioritize, uh, you know, this this relationship. We need them to to look at these big opportunities to not only, uh, you know, strengthen our economic ties with one of our, our greatest allies, but but also build stronger supply chains. You know, food security is not just in Europe. It's here in the United States. We need to have those secured markets. They need to have access to, you know, to our uh, goods as well. And so, you know, there are some things we're going to have to work on. Some of the holdover concerns they have on technologies like hormones, uh, you know, that's going to be an issue that we're going to have to deal with. But at the same time, they're much more receptive to adopting technologies in food production. So we talked about gene editing and other things like that. So we can't put this on a back burner. We have to prioritize this market. That's one of the reasons why we were there is to educate uh, members of parliament on everything that we do uh, to correct the, the narrative that the British media has put out there, making us look like a boogeyman uh, so many times and really uh, just showing them that we have very similar standards when it comes to sustainability, animal health, animal welfare, uh, food safety, all those things that we prioritize as producers and consumers in the United States, they have very similar views. And I think that that, that is a, a real opportunity that we're missing out on if we don't prioritize this agreement. Kent, when we think about that opportunity, a lot of us in the U.S., when, at least when I think of the U.K., I don't think of a huge population. They're an island country. What is the opportunity for U.S. beef if we could get a, a quality free trade agreement signed with our with our partners over in the U.K.? So when you look at British consumers, it's about 60, 65 million people. So not the biggest uh, economy, not the biggest market, but you know they are they are big meat eaters and they are very sophisticated uh, you know, uh, consumers when it comes to protein, they want to, they want to buy high quality products, uh, but they don't necessarily all want to buy ribeyes. So there's opportunities for us to sell other cuts, uh, some of the middle meats rounds and other things like that, that, uh, that are high demand in those areas. But there's also, I mean, the, the British consumers are very international in their cuisine. They're like Americans. They like variety. Uh, having been there, having, you know, studied that market, I can tell you there are a lot of areas where they're missing out. Uh, there are a lot of underserved cuisines, and there are a lot of things that we can that, that we can really uh, fill and that we can build out. Uh, you know, it's interesting to see that one of the biggest and most fastest growing restaurants throughout the United Kingdom is Five Guys, and uh, it's <laughs> so you see different things like that. British consumers want more access; they want more variety, and this is a good opportunity for us. Absolutely. You can't argue with delicious meat at the right price. And that's what American meat producers, cattle in particular, are producing. Folks, we've been talking with Kent Backus. He's the executive director of government affairs over at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, elections coming up this next week. Got anything you're keeping an eye on? <laughs> oh, I tell you what, it is, uh, I think, despite everything you're going to read in the uh, in the papers, it's still... Uh, it's still a toss up in many of these races. And I think, uh, you know, this is this is going to be an exciting uh, midterm election, probably more exciting than, than most. Uh, yeah. So we're definitely going to pay very close attention. Yeah, certainly going to be a lot of headlines by from that election day. Kent Backus, NCBA, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to talk about the trouble with diesel equipment in cold weather and what you can do about it on your operation. Stick around for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, Patty Urich, commodity broker for CHS, shares why it's vital for farmers to have a marketing plan. Patty, dry weather in certain parts of the country could impact the crop outlook. How does this affect the way growers should think about their marketing plans? Well, typically a marketing plan encompasses several crop years. We know Mother Nature throws us a curveball, too hot and dry, too cold and wet, or just right. Build your marketing plan to that just right, but be ready to adjust it and make sure it's flexible if necessary. Patty, why is it necessary to have a crop marketing plan in the first place? A marketing plan is necessary to help you reach your goals. However, a plan is nothing if it's not executed. This is where a consultant can come in and help to execute your plan. Follow through is key, but coming up with a marketing plan can be overwhelming for a lot of growers. What's your advice to farmers just getting started? A marketing plan can and should be simple, but most importantly, it needs to be customized to your individual operation. It should be understood by the farmer and rancher and agreed upon between you and your consultant. Where can farmers go for help in creating that marketing plan? I have a couple suggestions. First of all, and most importantly, you need to work with someone you trust. They need to become part of your team and work on your behalf. I like to keep it local if you can. Local people know your basis levels. They know your logistics. They know what your weather patterns have been. So they can kind of help you with your yield expectations. Also, your consultant has to be available. Communication is the key to making a good marketing plan and once again, executing that plan. Folks, we've been talking to Patty Urich, commodity broker at CHS. Patty, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. 
Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, there's no worse sound on a cold winter morning than the sputter of a diesel engine that won't start. But your operation doesn't have to hinge on the mercy of old man winter. Joining us today is Erin Rogie. She's a senior product manager at CHS Refined Fuels. And Erin, let's start with the basics. Why does cold weather cause diesel problems? That is an excellent question. You know, uh, one of the main reasons that cold weather causes problems in diesel fuel is really something that's beyond any of our control. And that is because paraffin wax is a naturally occurring substance in number two diesel. And these waxes that occur in the fuel bind together, creating larger crystals as the temperature gets colder. Um, And when those larger crystals bind together, it makes the fuel harder and harder to pump. This can cause clogged filters, and it's also known as diesel gelling. And diesel gelling really does start at temperature that we like to call the cloud point. The cloud point for a typical number two diesel fuel is around 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, farmers should be aware not only of that cloud point when you know you reach about 14 degrees Fahrenheit, but they should also be aware of when their machine's filters begin to plug uh, in cold weather, which is also known as the cold filter plugging point, or CFPP. Uh, This happens when temperatures continue to drop and those wax crystals continue to collect on a fuel filter, which then unfortunately starves the engine of fuel. This can be something that's extremely detrimental to cold weather operations. This CFPP is an industry-wide measurement Um, But it can get less accurate from some some of that newer equipment in the marketplace. Um, Gelling can often be mistaken as ice or freezing, which is something that you want to be aware of. Um, And this mistaken identity is is a common uh, misconception among uh, folks as they get into the fields in the winter. But it can be identified as that fuel filter warms. Um, So it's really important to pay attention and understand if you're experiencing gelling or, again, that wax buildup versus freezing, which involves water. Erin, how can farmers best deal with paraffin wax to avoid diesel gelling? So really, there is no way to, quote unquote, deal with paraffin wax in terms of getting rid of it. Paraffin wax is always going to crystallize. It is a natural element within fuel. So as temperatures get cold, it's going to start building uh, and lead to that gelling. But even though you can't stop those wax crystals from forming, you can change their shape through chemistry to keep them suspended um, and prevent fuel separation and settling of that wax in cold temperatures. So there's a couple pieces to that chemistry that I mentioned. The first is what we call a CFI, or a cold flow improver. And that's a fuel additive that breaks those larger crystals into smaller parts so they can pass more easily through equipment, equipment filters, and into the engine without causing damage or slowing things down. And then there's another type uh, of additive known as a wax anti-settling agent, or WASA, uh, that also keeps those smaller individual wax crystals suspended in the fuel so they don't settle to the bottom um, or separate out of that uh, liquid fuel, which then forms larger wax groupings and can cause issues in the bottoms of tanks and in the bottoms of equipment. So you really need um, both a component for the best performance, a cold flow improver, as well as a wax anti-settling agent in your fuel. What are the steps farmers should take to winterize their fuel? So the first step that farmers should take to winterize their fuel as those temperatures start to drop is to make the switch from a number two diesel fuel to a number one diesel fuel or appropriately blend down the two together um, to get to the optimum mix. When temperatures are below 35 degrees, you really want to use a blend of 70% uh, number two diesel and 30% number one diesel and look for something, again, that can provide that cold flow improver and that WASA, that wax anti-settling agent. Now, the good news is, is in those chillier temperatures, 35 degrees and below, Cynix Ruby Fieldmaster's seasonally enhanced premium diesel fuels uh, from Cynix 
are not only enhanced with the CFI, but they have a comprehensive additive package. So they've got all of the cold weather benefits, but also that really robust comprehensive additive package that comes with a Cenex premium diesel fuel. For those more brutally cold, more bitterly cold um, areas, as winter really sets in, think like January, February, you want to use a blend of 30% number two and 70% number one diesel, along with the cold flow improvers, the WASA. And again, if you can get that comprehensive additive package, that's even more bang for your buck. So we really encourage folks to try Cenex Winter Master which is our winterized premium diesel fuel. It has an operability of negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit and that cold filter plugging point of negative 37 degrees Fahrenheit. It really is the Cadillac of winter fuels um, to really optimize your operation when it is bitterly frigid outside. Are there any other winter-related fuel issues that farmers need to be aware of? Uh, first off, and I mentioned this really at the top of the conversation, is diesel fuel icing. It can be mistaken for gelling, uh, and it's due, due to that similar engine stalling symptoms. But the difference, again, between gelling and icing is critical because icing is caused due to ice crystals, which obviously are formed from water, rather than wax crystals. And if icing occurs, that means that water has gotten into your system and into your fuel, which is always a major concern. No matter what the temperature is, we all know that water is an enemy of fuel. So if you notice this, if you can detect icing in your system, be sure to contact your licensed mechanic as soon as possible. Where can people go to learn more? Uh, people are encouraged, producers, you know, uh, fleet operators, construction operations, they're encouraged to visit cenex.com to learn more about the best that our Cenex Premium Diesel Fuels have to offer. That's Aaron Rogie, Senior Product Manager at CHS Refined Fuels. Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com.